everyone. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Megan Powell. Today, Peg and I have the honor of welcoming my teacher and mentor, Dina Kingsburg, as a guest on today's episode. Now, this is kind of a big deal, not just because it's Dina, but because it's Dina's very first podcast. So unless you've gone to see her in person, chances are this might be your first time hearing her voice. Dina has been a devoted student of Ashtanga Yoga for over three decades, but her devotion and grace are never more apparent than when she closes her eyes, starts to softly hum, and begins to chant. In fact, there was something in her voice that drew me, a young practitioner searching for something more, as well as so many others from around the world, to her shala in Byron Bay. It's just this ongoing and ever-changing process of what yoga needs to look like. I mean, I am still a very physical practitioner, I love asana. It just feeds me. I'm a better, happier, more stable, optimistic, capable person because I have a religious asana practice. But why not have it all? If it's possible, why not have it all? You know, Pranayama sends me to places where I never want to come back from. And it's chanting that actually leads me to the heart and to the heart of devotion and leads me to this genuine understanding that connectivity is possible. It's all got to do with like where you abide, where do where do you reside, where do you sit, where do you sit within yourself? You know, do you sit on Instagram and your world is related to who follows you and what you like? Do you sit there? Do you sit in your busy day of must do this, must do that, stress? Do you, do you sit there? Do you sit in your mind that's always turning? Or do you sit with the ebb and flow of your breath? Or do you sit with the sweet vibration of sound? Or do you sit with your hridayam, with your spiritual heart? Where do you sit? And if you chant every day, you are reminded to sit with your spiritual self. And then that will nurture you and nurture all those other elements. The Dina I find to be closest to my heart is the one standing to greet you with her dog Loki to her home in Gunungari. 
That Dina will proudly give you updates on the various and never-ending building projects that she's currently working on, including the home that she and her husband Jack have been building together over the years, stone by stone. As you walk up the pathway under the canopy of trees they've planted over the years, in fact, I've planted a few of those trees myself, and look out into the surrounding nature from her deck. You can feel yourself letting out a much-needed exhale, one you didn't even know you were holding on to. And if you're really lucky, after lunch, Jack has made his famous prune cake for dessert. Don't ask for the recipe, because he won't tell you. Trust me, I've tried. Until you've had the pleasure of that experience. Peg and I sat down with Dina over Zoom. All of us in different places, able to enjoy each other's company, check in with what we've been up to. And as it turns out, Dina has been quite busy with an exciting project she mentions in the podcast. Her new online course, Embracing Joy, an eight-week chanting workshop exploring sound, as a vehicle to silence, and voice as a path to joy. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. I'm seeing your house, and I don't think that anybody listening, well, first of all, they won't be able to see your house, but anybody listening would realize just how off the grid you are, that it's not just a yoga thing and the way you teach, it's like the way you live. Explain that a little bit, like your lifestyle even. I saw a movie once called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, and it's about the teachings of St. Francis of Assisi. And he's in the middle of the desert and he's building a monastery or a temple or out of stone. And he says, if you want your dreams to grow, Take your time, go slowly. And I thought, I can do that. So I um, I had always wanted to live surrounded by nature. I think that nature is the ultimate teacher, the ultimate guru. And so when I was about 20-something, I don't even remember, early 20s, I bought a share in a multiple occupancy with some friends and did a rock wall building course and started to build a house. The stones were all there on the ground. It's volcanic here, and so it was free, and lived in a tent for six years. My education is in fine art, and I majored in sculpture, so building the house was just an extension of that process. And Gary is God's land. Gary is just this beautiful part of northern New South Wales where it is um, semi-tropical and it has the highest rainfall in the area. So it's very abundant and the earth is soft, so it grows things easily. And when you come here, whenever I come home, I just exhale deeply and feel um, that it's so nurturing And it is 
that nurturing quality of a home environment that allows for everything else to happen with ease. When I was there last time, people probably don't remember this because we have so many other crises that came right after, but the fires in Australia, if anyone doesn't know, came awfully close to your house. They did. It's um, November of last year, and bless Megan and Mark and yourself and quite a few others were really um, instrumental in helping us to evacuate. We were out for about eight weeks from home before it felt safe to come back. Um, there was a prediction that the whole area, including federal, would be taken out by fires, but the wind changed. Um, the tricky thing was that whilst we were celebrating the change of wind because it meant our home was saved, it meant that others weren't. So uh, it was it was a very intense time and it definitely brought up some lessons about attachment. I think what I was thinking, um, your ability to, during that time, the ability to come into the yoga shala and teach, like to hold all of that, what was happening, you described your home and how you built it, dealing with, you know, letting go of that attachment to it. But at the same time, you're showing up for so many people and being there for so many people and the capacity to do that is quite amazing. Bless you. I think that's actually part of the, the solution is having something to do, having some, some part to play and um, being able to go to the Shala and be with that really rich and sweet community um, was the glue that held us together. And, you know, as I said, we weren't in any imminent danger. We had evacuated the house. We may have lost it. But um, so it certainly wasn't as bad for us as it was for so many people who lost homes and lives in Australia and across the world. But, um, yeah, that community is so important. And I think people right now I've heard are struggling because that community where they've normally been able to go to the Shala and be with everyone, it's quite hard because now that's not happening so much. It is in Byron, but nowhere else. And so that glue, we're trying to find it over social media or online courses and yeah, we're just adapting, but it is important. It is important. And that's why I think it's important for someone like myself not to get stuck in limiting ideas of I don't, I can't. So normally um, when I'm asked to do a podcast, I just say, I, I don't do that. Or if I'm asked to teach sugar online, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't do that. And it seems like that's just not good enough anymore. And um a large part of the process of yoga is about becoming comfortable. And I'm not normally comfortable in the digital world. And so I've set it up, I've set it as a task. I've set it as a practice to um, find a way to get out of my own way so that I can maybe play a positive part by sharing a little of what I know. Is that one of the reasons why you developed? the chanting course. I mean, a lot of your students travel from other places. So even though maybe in Byron, it isn't, or even in Australia, you guys have done a pretty good job outside of Australia, the U.S. for sure. 
<laughs> we're pretty much a hot mess. No one's letting us in soon. And so I'm wondering if you created the course as a way to hold um, another way to hold community. Uh, yes, definitely. But also it had some selfish motivation behind it. I was quite recently teaching a philosophy course for a friend and um, I was teaching about the qualities of a teacher. And I started by sharing a prayer, a mantra that goes, Agyana Gahana Loka Surya Sumagni Murthaye Dukkha Trayagni Santapa Shantaye Gurave Namaha. And this lists the three qualities required by a teacher. And the first is that the teacher needs to have the quality of the sun, and that represents discipline. And the second was that the teacher requires the quality of the moon, and that is to be nurturing and care about people. And the third is that the teacher requires the quality of fire, and that means to uh, support transformation. And then there was another threefold of what a teacher requires, and that was a teacher requires firstly to have a teacher. A teacher requires, secondly, to have a sincere and dedicated practice. And thirdly, a teacher is required to care about other people. And then, spontaneously, I added another three. And a teacher, perhaps, should give the student a little of what they want. But a teacher should definitely give the student a little of what they need. And finally, a teacher will be best nourished and nourishing if a teacher shares with the practitioners a little of what they love. And so born out of that idea that I would be nurtured if I shared a little of what I love, I wanted to redirect um, towards sound vibration as an, as an extension or an elaboration to people's asana practices. Early in the COVID lockdown, I was asked to give some advice about Mysore-style teaching on the internet. And certainly at that time, we didn't know how long this whole lockdown process would go for. And so I knew at that moment, it certainly wasn't something that felt natural for myself. And that pretty much encouraged the teacher who was asking to do whatever felt most natural for them. At the beginning of the lockdown, I pretty much became a recluse and needed some quiet time. It had been um, quite intense holding energy at the Shala. We, we had um, an international group of committed practitioners on their third year and midway through uh, was when it was like, are you going or are you staying? And then we got the word that the Shala needed to close and everything had to dissolve. So my first response was to, yes, lockdown and to love it, actually. I loved being isolated here in Gary. I loved having my family regrouped. I love the simplicity of it. And it felt um, very healing and much needed. Then over the unfolding months, my energy is restored and it's time to sort of find a way to, to contribute. And so doing something that I love in the form of sharing breath and mantra and a little bit of philosophy 
felt like uh, the natural way forward? I was one of my favorite parts about being in class with you. It was the first time that I had ever been in a Mysore setting where we began with the seated silence, meditation, the breathing, and then the chanting. I had never experienced five, six mornings a week of chanting before practice. It was, and Megan, I would love Megan to speak more to it because I think you really instilled a love. You know, she would come back here for the summers and sit with me and she would lead me. And it was, it was really neat. It was just um, a wonderful experience. And yeah, and you, you actually planted the seeds for all of that. I looked forward to it every morning. And I know, yeah, go on. (laughs) Me too. It's the best part of the day to be able to sit in silence with a community of people. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my yoga shala is also surrounded by nature and deafening are the birds and the insects here in Australia and the kookaburras and the wildlife. It's, It's very raw in element. And to to be in communion as the sun comes up in the morning. Um, We're on the most easterly point of Australia, so we get the first sunlight of the country, Um, is really, you know, it's really the highlight of of my day to to do that. And from what I understand, you know, Ashtanga Yoga is this eightfold path and asana is part of that collection. And it's important I feel to encourage a space that allows people to become introspective I think that in contrast to many um, general yoga studios there is this time frame where everything is quite um, tight in order for it to be viable so we don't have that situation and we luxuriate I also don't do a staggered Mysore style I only have what is considered one batch. So it usually is a three-hour block from um, sitting meditation practice through to the end of Shavasana before the shala is needed for the next round. So I am aware that it's a really luxurious situation. But if you're going to do something, if you're going to do something, best not to compromise if you don't need to. And I'd rather do one batch well and offer a really holistic approach to the teaching than become um, a Mysore style factory. Also, I'm 56. So, and I'm very physical in the room, as you know, and one batch is enough for me, especially with the practice before and after and, you know, and the rest of the things as in running a home and a property and takes time. As you know, when you say luxurious, though, I have to say, all I kept thinking was it was luxurious for us. You may have felt that, but you are very physical and people may not realize this, but you actually work with every single person in the room one on one many times. But I think of particularly with backbends and many people are hitting that at the same time. And one of the things that I learned from being in your room is patience is that it's okay to wait, that it's okay to, 
to, to allow that space, that time. And, but I just looked at you and I thought, Oh my, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I physically could work that hard. So it didn't feel very much like a luxury for you at that point. It may have been in the morning, but I think when boy, we would get to the end, I would just think she's superhuman. Like I would just be like, I, what? I, uh, I think it's a privilege to be able to be involved with people so intimately, so physically, but also so energetically. And I'm someone who gleans information from close proximity and tactility. I like to touch. I like to be involved. Um, also, I like to work hard. I appreciate that it's an honor and a privilege to be involved in people's practice in such a way. And there's something honest about, you know, digging the ground or, you know, moving the body um, that makes it feel earthed or real or connected. And I also think that many, for many people, you know, the laying on of hands just being seen and being felt is a large part of uh, healing. So, sure, I work hard, um, but I work. Hard. I like, as I said, I like it. I'm built for it. I'm built for it. Um, you know, I built a rock home by hand. You know, I planted a thousand trees, and uh, we actually have a small swimming pool that I dug by hand. Call me obsessive, but. Um, all of that is just part of that um, honest connection with the earth and just, you know, digging in the ground, like digging in the soul and digging in the personality and and just kind of like digging your way towards this spring or this well of well-being. So, yes, uh, I do. I do like to work on Circling back to the chanting, Megan, the chanting inspired something within you, yes? It's hard to put it into words because it's such a, I don't know, it's something so deep that you feel and when you're in that room and even now, like, now I'm not even there, I've moved away, but yet I can sit and I can still hear your voice and it still brings this like joy in me, but also, I think what it did was my mind is constantly going and it's a little like a little chatterbox, but because I'm able to chant and have that, um, that joy, I can quiet a little bit and then listen to something a little bit deeper as well. And so I feel more like I've been able to hear my own voice, which builds I mean in one way just confidence to be able to hear yourself truly hear yourself and that's one of the you know beautiful things that you've taught is being able to do that which I think is so rare to be able to listen to what's deeper inside of you I think it's a very 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 powerful medium sound is a form of silence or sound to lead you towards silence. I mean, I think in the beginning, my experience and I 
believe others too, is that the voice is so directly connected to the heart and so directly connected to our layers of insecurity. So we've all got this story about, about our vocal limitations and how we sound. And um, so the, an internal narrative often becomes louder when you start chanting in the form of self-judgment. And then you continue with repetition over and over again and the voices in your head are slowly soothed by the sound. And at some point or another, there's a unification of the chitamdriti, of the, the dialogue of the mind, and the mind starts humming along until such time as that separateness is eliminated and there is just a sound vibration. And that process repeated over and over does tend to attune you to yourself or create this internal harmony where the resistance falls away. And that, I believe, is a stepping stone to becoming aware and then harmonious with the vibration of all things and then just finding that that separateness falls away through that vehicle of sound. One of the things I love too is because we were always chanting together, you and the rest of the group, it's almost like when we had to dissolve the CP course and slow, quickly, actually go our separate ways, being able in those first few weeks and eventually months, chanting those same mantras, the same sutras, I could still hear everyone around me it, yes. by myself. And I could still hear, you know, Amelia to my left and Rafa to my right. <laughs> you know? And it's a great way to, to feel connected, not just to drop this separateness of other things, but also to feel so interconnected with those that you cannot see anymore because we have that connection and that is one of the beautiful things that I had never noticed until needing to be isolated as well mm. yeah. yes it certainly is a special to have a group of people where you can um, have an ongoing process and an ongoing practice so that the chanting just gets deeper and deeper as as does the connection the quiet connection what I really love is that sense of um non-verbal communication in that we're all in there together making these sound vibrations and it's as if we all kind of know each other really deeply without knowing anything about each other so yeah it's a wonderful medium but that's not to say that all the other aspects of the yoga practice are, you know are any less valuable or any less wonderful I mean it's such a delight to have some tools some Thing to, to give um, purpose and meaning and structure and just some, some way of nourishing all the elements of the self. And that's why we're so fortunate in this multifaceted and multi-layered practice to have such an endless um, array of directions to explore. I think I really appreciated that, that we had it all in one place when we came there. And that's so rare. Usually you would have to go to three separate places. And I didn't even mention that 
before we would even practice, you would give a short talk. And it would usually be something very relevant to what was going on. It might it would be rooted in philosophy, but it was just a nice, it was like a a setting of an intention in some way. It just uh, putting your it was just a beautiful way to start, but usually you would have to go to three different places to get all right. You'd go to Mysore to get the physical shape making. You'd have a chanting somewhere else. And it all, and chanting to me, it always felt very academic. And you talked about insecurity. I would always feel like, I don't know, that I, my pronunciations wouldn't be right. And it would require a lot of study. And, and just to be able to experience it without that, there's something so magical in leaving the intellectual part or just pushing it to the side for a moment and allowing that pure mm, uh, that pure meeting with yourself to start with. I mean, when you make sounds, that's you and you. You know, that's this, I am here. I am in my body. I am present with myself. And my, as Megan said, my voice is being articulated. I hear me. And that's the first gift. I hear me. And sh- sure, the sounds won't be perfect. I mean, I was insecure to sing happy birthday for a good decade of my life because, you know, I'm not pitch perfect. But that shouldn't stop anyone from having a go. And I'm glad it didn't stop you. So you've been talking about bringing the group together and the group that had to be disbanded. And that was, of course, one that Megan was part of, and that was the CP course. I'm not sure that everybody listening would know what that is. Can you explain? Sure. Um, You know, in this era where people are learning to teach their yoga in in an array of formats, um, my, my feeling about... My feeling about genuinely being a teacher of yoga means that firstly, you need to be a yoga practitioner. And secondly, that you need to have the process of practicing yoga move you, move you in such a way that a light goes on, move you in such a way that uh, there is the dawning of some level of understanding. And understanding about yoga takes time. It takes time and maturity for the practice to do its work. So being a gifted asana practitioner is one thing, but being a whole and stable human being is another thing. So the committed practitioner course is not designed to create yoga teachers. It's designed to give people the opportunity to work in a progressive and ongoing way where it doesn't stop and start every time, where we've got this time to get to know each other and we've got this time to go a little deeper into yogic material and philosophy. And then out of a group that is usually collected from different countries of the world just for diversity, um, a few of those will continue on and a mentorship relationship will evolve. And also the committed practitioners, uh, sorry, committed, it was originally committed practitioners and then we changed it to compassionate practitioners of which we're hoping that they are committed and compassionate practitioners, but just depending what three-year cycle it was. Um, 
that they are drawn from people who already have a connection. I have a connection with them, they have a connection with me, and together we believe that it would be a useful commitment or sharing that that I have the skills or the temperament that would suit them um, to entrust a little of themselves to me. Because as I said, you know, if a teacher is going to spark the fire of transformation, that means you're not always patting someone on the head. You're taking a light and shining it into the parts of them that they don't necessarily see yet and just saying, look here. And that takes time and that takes trust and that takes mutual respect. And so that's how I like to work. I'm not in a hurry, but I'm sure Megan's perspective as a participant would be um, very interesting. Oh, I don't even, like, I just don't even know where to start with it because it's changed over the three years. You know, in the beginning, I'll just say it, like, not that I don't anymore, but I definitely idolized you. Like, you were just this, I mean, and you said, you said at the very, very beginning, do not put me on a pedestal. And I just, you know, for me, you were like, oh my gosh, this woman has everything. And, and you do, but... It's been really, uh, it's been amazing having my relationship change with you and have it grow in different ways and mature, I guess, as long as I've matured. Like, I never thought I would be on a FaceTime podcast call with you and be doing this, you know, but so hard to put into words something that hasn't even fully been digested because it's so much but yeah just the people that are like I feel so close with everyone that has been in the group and being able to talk with them all the time even though like we're not together and we're we just know each other I've never had such a potent three months of my life where you just come out of it and you're like, what just happened? And I remember you wrote me an email and it had something to which is, you know, you just need to, after that, you know, you go home and you have a big exhale. And after each three months, it really felt like that. It felt like, oh my goodness, all so much information and transformation and practice. What I see with that three-year thing is that, you know, people do come in and they've got a certain kind of, I'm here and you're there. And then as the time unfolds and the work does its work, you see the practitioners. And as I've seen you, Megan, just like sit in yourself and value yourself and become self-empowered and free to express yourself. The fear drops away. And it's like, it's like watching a, a seed fight its way through the soil and then like burst forth in green vitality and then, you know, continue to blossom. I still look back regularly on my notes through those months and just each time take something new or reminded of something and it feels like I'm even though it's over, 
it's not over. I'm still, still getting something from it. I'm still learning a new perspective from it. I'm growing from that place. And so, yeah, that seed was planted. Um, I think one of the things too that's so important is that relationship with you and having you accessible for those three months and building that and being with you for so many hours of the day. (laughs) But what I want to say about that is one of the great things for me that maybe isn't done on purpose, but probably because it's you, it it is um, deliberate, but it's the practicing after you teach in the morning, you practice at the 10 a.m. And then whoever was adjusting with you practices as well. I really, I don't know, I really appreciated practicing with you. Like, even though I would actually move my mat to the other side of the wall, just knowing that you were, like, being in the room with you while you're practicing, for some reason, felt incredibly Well, we're all in this together. I guess that's the point, you know? Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're all moving through the process of eliminating the obstacles and finding our way towards clarity and light and peace. We're all doing it together. And uh, so practicing in the room with my students, it's also got to do with honesty, I guess. You know, obviously my practice isn't what it was when I was your age. Um, But I dare say I love to watch you practice because I feel as a student you really listen and you integrate and you have an integral understanding that is evident in the way you relate to your breath and your body. So I find it's it's a compliment. It's a compliment to have you in the room practicing. It's a compliment to feel that I may have left some mark or impression upon that. Yeah, I think you, I think you get it, and that's unbelievably satisfying from a personal perspective and a teaching perspective. You have said to me that that you are not defined by just being a yoga teacher. Like that is not what defines you. I mean. I love teaching, don't get me wrong, and I do feel like um, it's quite a natural expression for me. I'm, I'm interested in it. I'm interested in people. But it, it's not even so much that teaching is the right word. It's like being in the company of other people whilst they're evolving. I mean, you call it a yoga teacher, but I, I don't know if, that's, if, it's, if it's not something more to be to be a part of somebody else's spiritual journey. That's more than just teaching. That's, I don't know, that's, it's um, symbiotic. It's a collective experience. It's not, it's not me doing something at or, or to them. It's some experience that we share collectively together. And that, you know, that is such a, a wonder um yeah it's such a it's such a a wonderful position to be in and my kids always say you know sometimes I talk about you know when I retire and 
they both say, you will never not do it. You will just never not do it. And I think that they're right. I'm, I'm better when I'm, I'm better when I'm doing it because I get to be a part of it and being a part of that uh, process is incredibly enriching and nourishing. This is amazing. This was really, really maybe one of my favorites. It's also pretty um, special when both you and Megan are side by side in the yoga shala, when both of you have come, you know, from another country that's full of wonderful yoga teachers and, and you choose to come and um, grace the shala. And I really appreciate that. And it's just, it's a, it's a testament to your relationship with one another that you can practice side by side and that you can podcast side by side and that, you know, that we are all, um, yeah, part of this very, very precious community. I wish uh, anyone who's listening, I hope that you're uh, finding some peace in your day and that the world situation is um, not too difficult for you and that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy. I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you for everything. Thanks, Peg. Thanks, Megan. And thank you for listening. For more information on Dina's online chanting workshop, please visit dina.net.au. And while you're there, check out our music page where you can download her album, In Gratitude, Music for Yoga, Meditation, and Healing. Proceeds for the album go to the Bapaji Children's Home in Mysore, India. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted, written, edited, and produced by me, Peg Mulqueen, along with Megan Powell. Music by Mark Pilley. And a sincere note of thanks to those of you who have so generously supported this show through the years. Thanks to you, We've managed to keep this podcast ad and sponsor free since we began in 2013. It's not easy. A true labor of love. One that wouldn't be possible without your loving support. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider supporting by visiting ashtangadispatch.com and making an in-kind donation. And it doesn't need to be much. A little bit goes a really long way. It's love.